Welcome to Real Life Shh with Chrissy, a podcast where we let go of our secrets and shame and we regain our power, our self, and our confidence back through our connection with the divine. Today, we are doing just that by taking a deeper dive into boundaries and why they're so important and exactly how we establish them. My next guest is the perfect person to guide us on just how to do that. He has years of extensive experience and education. He has written several books, and his latest workshop is titled Seven Steps to Powerful Boundaries. A big welcome back to our licensed marriage family therapist, Merle Yost. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be back. It's good to see you again. So as I already mentioned, Merle, you have this amazing workshop titled Seven Steps to Powerful Boundaries. Can you tell us a little bit about your workshop? Sure. The workshop originally started uh, originally for, for therapists. I was teaching therapists about boundaries who often need them a lot. Uh, and But as COVID hit and everything changed, it, it developed into uh, a shorter workshop and online. And now then it got clear that I needed to just expand this and make a, uh, a more complete package for people who weren't therapists who had a certain level of understanding coming into this. And so I wanted to make it accessible to anybody because I, my experience, almost everybody needs to work on their boundaries. And certainly that's been true in my practice and in my own life. Uh, and so I created this so that it would take people through this whole journey of changing how they see themselves and to come to understand how they became them and how they interact in the world. And then what is possible when they make some changes and how it affects how they see the world. Right. And you just covered two of my questions, which was, who is this for? Um, And also the importance of figuring out who you are in step one, which we talked about in episode number 12. So if you guys haven't seen or listened to that episode, make sure you go back to that very, very important step and episode where we learn all about the importance of how you became you. So I also want to point out that you said that it's for originally for therapists, but I took it. I'm not a therapist. And it was amazing. And it's no joke. It, it, you, we're taking a deep dive into understanding yourself as well as the other six steps, because the first step is all about who you are and how you became to be. And what your family's taught you about boundaries. Right. That's really what step one is about. But I also want to point out, because I did not know this until just recently, is that if you do sign up for this workshop, you have Merle's support. I had no idea that, you know, he he's there to be like, hey, Chrissy, how you doing on step one? I see that you're still there. Do you do you need anything? Is there anything that I can do to help you move along? I had no idea that, that you you offered that. That's huge. Well, we really want people to get through this. And I understand how challenging this can be. So I've tried to make myself available to people to uh, get a little support uh, to move through it. And, and I've seen that people tend to stop at certain points. And so uh, just a, a conversation with me is often enough yeah. to uh, get them going again and, and back on track because the information is uh, not all of it's easy. 
<laughs> no, step one was very hard for me because it's about like revisiting Childhood. your past. Yeah. yeah. But I got through it. And it changed and it changes you, which is the whole point of it is that it, it, takes, it allows you to reclaim yourself and take back parts of yourself from your childhood that you didn't realize you'd even given away. Mm-hmm. And so that's really powerful because the whole point is to be a full adult and to be fully integrated. And if you have all of these parts wandering around from you that are wounded from the past, then you, are, you can't be a full adult. Right. So let's use that information and move into step two, where you talk about how culture and your upbringing establish different personal boundaries for yourself and and possibly others. Sure. Every culture has its own norms. Uh, And just on the basic level of saying hello, it looks very different in different cultures. When I was in Mexico, you hugged and a woman particularly, and kissed each cheek, and then that was the hello. <laughs> it's like, all right. Uh, and in some cultures, you hit, uh, not touch on the forehead, and there are just these different ways that they've come to, to, to become the norms in their culture. But we have all kinds of norms in our family that other families don't have. And so uh, my family uh, was essentially a cult, and so we didn't really talk about our family outside the family at all, uh, except in, in very specific terms. And so, but other people will tell you everything there is to know about going on in the family. Mm-hmm. And so, that was just a norm that I grew up with, and it was really shocking to me to find out that the world was really quite different after coming out of this cult experience. And so, maybe that's uh, why it was so important for me to learn about boundaries, because the boundaries inside the cult were non-existent and outside the cult were absolute. Yeah. So it was a really weird juxtaposition of a childhood. <laughs> so, uh, but different, but there are different kind of boundaries. I mean, the step two goes into cultural boundaries and religious boundaries and uh, territorial boundaries and all these work boundaries and all these other things. It just gives you basic descriptions of these kind of different kind of boundaries and what they are. Because we often talk about boundaries all the time. We don't really have a education in what they are. Right. And if you're okay with it, because you mentioned that um, you, um, you practically grew up in a cult, can you, is it within your boundaries to expand just a little bit on that? Because that's very interesting. Like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's hear more about that. <laughs> It'll all be in my next book. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll say a little bit. I grew up in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Both my parents were from Southern Illinois. Uh, both poor farm kids. Uh, Dad did not have any education at all, really. And and mom was really smart, but mom was kind of crazy. <laughs> she believed that she was sitting on the right hand of God, ruling the universe. And we were raised our whole childhood to believe this was true. And all there was a whole lot more goes into that. That's just a very thin. So we weren't allowed to have friends, really. We weren't allowed to... Uh, tell people who we really were, we'd all be killed. There was just wow. all this stuff going on. And this was this was a daily, we got daily misses from God via my mother and all these other things. It was uh, all angels floating around. It was just quite a, a free-for-all. So it was a rather different kind of childhood. Mm-hmm. And then there was, of course, there was lots of violence and lots of sexual abuse and a whole lot of other things going on on top of that. So yeah. it was a very crazy world. So basically... Again, we're coming back to the importance of 
you know, this workshop or really any way that someone can establish who they are separate from the rest of the world in order to establish their boundaries. You grew up in a, in a place or a setting where, you know, you were kind of forced or drawn to believe that all the things that were happening around you was totally normal and within your boundaries that your parents and, you know, your family established upon you. And you never got to learn your, what your real boundaries were until later in life. No. And that caused a lot of problems (laughs) on on a host of levels. Uh, Yeah, but most of us assume that what happens in our family is how the world works. I call it the dance of intimacy. Mm -hmm. And mine was more extreme than many, though certainly they're worse than what I grew up in. Uh, But it's, we take that dance out and then we have to stumble our way through. And relationships happen because we're unconsciously looking for that dance. And so when we find somebody who mirrors that dance on some level, then like, oh, I'm home. This feels right. right. And so we recreated our family mm-hmm. <laughs> in our new family. It's like a do-over. It is a do-over. And so, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it works when you see it as a do-over and you actually change what didn't work in the past, <laughs> right? But if you're just continuing, expect- that's why so many marriages end in divorce because one grows, the other doesn't grow, or the dance really wasn't a good dance to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it's just really ugly. Yeah. Yeah. You figure out <laughs> the dance wasn't a good dance to begin with. Yeah. You figure out, wait, I'm doing the chicken dance. I don't even like this stupid chicken dance. Why am I doing this silly chicken dance? I feel ridiculous. I don't like the chicken dance, but yet you were doing the chicken dance for decades, you know? Yeah, because that's just how we expect people to respond. And, yeah, and we, this they, is how it is. And our, our parents give us the models for, our dad generally makes as the model for what men are supposed to be like mm-hmm. and how we're supposed to interact with them. Our mom is the model for how women are like and how we're supposed to interact with them. And yep. then again, that doesn't always work in real life. Right. So let's talk about the importance of sexual communication and how we need to highlight the task of communicating your sexual boundaries or desires. And that task is actually on you. It is. And I would say sexual communication is probably one of the most difficult things that people ever have to do Mm -hmm. because we have the least amount of training in what it really is. We also don't really know ourselves all that well. (laughs) And that we all are, I think most of us have been traumatized in childhood around sexuality and so we're bringing this child self up to the front and saying, okay, now you take charge because you know what this is about. Right. And they don't. And so it's really problematic. Uh, and uh, the, the key issue is, is that we don't understand intimacy. Intimacy is the act of being vulnerable, of revealing a part of yourself to another person and risking being judged or rejected. And we should do that in small doses in the beginning (laughs) and and lesser stuff Mm -hmm. and build up to deeper levels of intimacy and contact Uh, because you shouldn't just dump everything out there and and like, okay, I'm being rejected every time I open my mouth. Well, well, no wonder you're scaring them half to death. It's like going (laughs) on your first day and say like a woman's like, I want kids in two years, married in a year, and I want a princess cut down, you know, and yada, yada, yada. Like the guy's like, or whoever is like, I'm out of here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Exactly. With good reason, because too much information, there wasn't enough 
contact or connection to to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, do I like you first before we even move on to any of the rest of this? Yeah. And so, but sex is we we don't have good sex education even about the most basic parts of it. I mm-hmm. mean, most people learn through about sex from the other kids in the neighborhood or a porn film or uh, some other salacious way as opposed to actually getting real information. And we're making it harder and harder to give them that real information, yeah. which is just bizarre uh, because they really need this. And then if you get exposed to sexual sexual energy too early, it can stunt you psychologically to that uh, I was nine when I was first sexually abused, and uh, it caused severe dissociation. It completely wrecked my life in a lot of ways. And so, but I didn't realize how, for how many years I was still nine years old every time I encountered sex. Mm-hmm. And so it was only by healing the wounds of that sexual abuse that went on for three years uh, that I could actually deepen into a whole different level of, of intimacy. Totally. And I can, I can relate to that. I would, for many years, I'd have to get like drunk, basically. Okay. You have to numb yourself out so that you can make yourself vulnerable, Mm -hmm. (laughs) make yourself a victim again. Yeah. Because I wasn't really being vulnerable. I was just like, you're replaying the abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're just recreating the abuse because that's what it means. Yeah. That's what we do. And you're absolutely right about how there's a lack of education, especially for our kids, because I was never taught about what sexual abuse is. Um, I didn't even know what was happening until it already happened. And and yeah, I, I'm making it a point to talk to my my kids about it. I think that a big fear for parents is that they don't want to overexpose them too soon. Can you touch on that? Like how how do parents... Ex- educate it's our kids. Age appropriate information. Okay. And so there are lots of books out there at this point mm-hmm. on that just educate yourself about what is appropriate for this age level for them to know. Because the irony is, is that there's so much of the politics is around that teaching kids about sex is making them sex addicts. Right. <laughs> the truth is, is that teaching kids about sex protects them. Because otherwise you're sending these naive little individuals out in the world and somebody starts approaching them in a sexual way and they don't understand what's going on. Right. Where if they've been educated about what's going on and how this works, they can take steps to protect themselves or say, help, I need help here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we don't educate them, they can't do that. They just We're just literally sending them out to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. And I find that outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> and you're so right. Like I... I was never really taught. I didn't have the sex ta- talk. Um, I was educated, like, you know, with our our anatomy, but I never had the sex talks. And the first time I was intimate with my first love, actually, um, I felt I felt shame. I didn't tell anyone. What? How? I, what else could you have felt? Yeah, <laughs> I. And it's so sad because it wasn't it wasn't a shaming time. It was actually a beautiful connection. Um, we stayed together for many, many, many years after that. Um, but I, I I put shame on myself for 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 doing that. And I, I can't even I couldn't even well, I can't even you, say it for doing that for having sex. Right. You know? That was the download you got from your family about sex because it's something not talked about. It's shameful. Yeah. Right. And, and even from I wonder. I'm sure a lot of Females my age felt this as well. I think things are changing direction now with young girls. But 
you know, my dad, he didn't say it, but the thought of somebody dating me scared the crap out of him because he was like, no, oh, you better... You better protect daughter. I, he's probably just in it for, you know, he, I think he want, he wouldn't even say the word either. You know, he would insinuate. Right. He made it something scary right. as opposed to educating about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and establishing your own boundaries and comfort and mm-hmm. all of those things. And knowing that you have power in the situation that you don't have to just be the victim. Yeah. And by him, I know that he had all good intentions mm. for me and by having that's kind of conversation, not really kind of like warning. Um, but what it actually had me feeling was like I would be less than if I did have premarital sex, yes. you know, or that he would think that way of me if he found out. But we're a shame-based sexual society. Yeah. Period. It goes all the way back to the Puritans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we're working through. I think we're trying. I think some of us are definitely trying yeah, some of us. to. And some people are trying forward. to regress us back to the yeah. uh, Stone Age. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's really problematic because it, we need to be able to talk openly about sex mm-hmm. in a mature way without being salacious or patronizing or shaming. And because. It's an innate drive in every one of us. Yeah. And it behooves us to do this in a healthy way because that will make our kids healthier too. Because if we aren't, because they're going to pick up our shame, they're just little sponges who absorb whatever words going on in us. And if we have shame about something, they're going to take that on too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of shame, how does sexual abuse and other forms of trauma impact our emotional tele- intelligence as well as our unknowing, really? of ourselves and our boundaries and our own desires. Well, it just, it, it, whenever you're sexually abused, you're sex, psychosexually stuck at that age until you work through the trauma. So I was psychosexually stuck at nine years old mm-hmm. for years and years. Uh, and that's not just any time that happened, that early exposure to porn, that uh, I remember I had a client many years ago who, was I think nine or ten, uh, something like that, and he was in the public locker room, and this twenty-one-year-old decided to masturbate in front of him, and it completely charged him because he was he was gay. The boy was he didn't, he hadn't put that together yet, but he was, and so he was completely overwhelmed by this experience. So he spent the next twenty years just going from bathroom to bathroom, recreating that experience because he was unconsciously trying to resolve that overwhelm. Right. So he, but he got in trouble for that, but he was just trying to work through the trauma, even right. though he didn't know that either at the time. But that's what happens. And that's anyone who's sexually compulsive has sexual trauma. Sexual addiction is the biggest scam that ever existed. It does not exist. People have sexual trauma. Once you resolve the trauma underneath, they stop the compulsive behavior. And how does one resolve the trauma, especially? From a male perspective, because I do think that females, you know, I don't know that a lot of a lot of my girlfriends admit that they've been sexually abused. Not sure. all of them, but I don't think I know very many males that admit that. Well, because men can't admit to being victims. Mm. It defines them as being weak or powerless. It means they're not a man. That's our culture. 
So I specialize in men who are sexually abused in children, and I can tell you it's one of the most difficult things they ever have to talk about right. and own because that means that they were not able to protect themselves. God, that makes me so sad because especially, you know, like as a woman, like I, all I want to do is like, you know, love my man. And it makes me sad to think like that they, and I, I'm generalizing, I don't know if this is, speaks true for everyone um, out there, that they don't feel like they can be open because that would be saying I'm a, I'm a victim. I'm not, I'm less than a man. Well, they'd also have to recognize their victim. Like the guy's early exposure to porn don't mm. don't understand the impact that it's had. Right, on they think them. that's normal because right. we've normalized that exactly. As a society. And so, or uh, one of the most egregious in my experience is that I've worked with so many men who, who as boys in junior high and high school, were having sex with a female teacher, and they probably glorified that, right? Oh my God! And to a one, almost always they say is they, they came to believe that their job was to pleasure every woman in the world. And so this completely altered their sexuality and totally derailed them. And uh, these were all straight boys, and, and but it it really they were stuck in that of this of this experience. And so they were they were pleasuring this older woman, and they just the whole world up. And so part of what's going on is that she can generate so much more so so much more sexual energy than this young teenage boy. And so he gets overwhelmed by that. And so he's trying to recreate that experience because that's what sex is to him. Mm -hmm. But again, it goes back to, you know, how society, our family has kind of established boundaries for us. And if we don't take the time to get to know ourselves, our trauma, then we really don't even know our boundaries. We don't know ourselves enough to know our boundaries. No, and men aren't allowed to have trauma. <laughs> I know. Why is it? Because it why? means not being a man. We have we have put. We, we got to stop that. I agree, but 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 that's not where our culture is going at the moment. But unfortunately, I don't think. But yes, men have to be human, uh-huh. and not these icons of power and strength. I mean. A real relationship is two strong people mm. yeah. <laughs> who are meeting and supporting each other and creating a container for this family. Yeah. And so that's that's real health. It's not one being impervious to all pain and will right. survive everything. Right. And, and likely your partner or your desired partner will see through that, through the bullshit. Well, <laughs> We'll know because, you know, when when especially when guys are trying to be like super masculine and I love a masculine man, I do. What I love more is when that man is able to be vulnerable and transparent and real enough to to admit, yeah, man, I've I've had some shit, too, and I'm working through it. That is way more attactive to me than than the front. The intimacy, it deepens the contact. So, yeah, men. We, we're doing such a bad job of raising boys. Uh, and I lost my train of thought there. <clears throat> well, what's your, what's your tips for parents who are raising boys like myself? Oh, I know I was going to say, then I'll come back to that. Okay. Is, is that it just went away again. Uh, I don't know why that keeps slipping out of my grasp. I'll come back. Um, well, they have to be taught that it is okay to be vulnerable. Oh, now what is sexual abuse survivors find each other. Mm. It's because there's a certain 
similarity in that dance of intimacy they've learned, that there's a certain way that you push past a certain vulnerability and expose yourself in a way uh, that you learned from the abuse experience. And so uh, I almost always when, 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 I've, when one partner I've found has been sexually abused, the other one was sexually abused as well. It's just the men don't usually know it or understand it until you start peeling back the pieces of that. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that, that seemed to me important to say. Uh, the boys, you, you need to be age appropriate about sexuality. You need to be, uh, have a lot of affection between you and your husband to demonstrate how that looks like. Uh, and so that they get norms and about how, how they, you treat each other. Mm-hmm. They're going to take those norms out into the world. And, and if they see the two of you respecting each other and with appropriate contact and so forth, they're going to think that's just how the world works. Right. <laughs> Which is wonderful. <laughs> and there are some, like you mentioned, there are some books out there now, thankfully, that for children that are being published that talk about just that. And it's kind of like there's I can't remember the book that I was reading, but I was reading it out loud. and I was like, oh. They said it for me. Good. So I'm not the only one who's who's <laughs> trying to say this. To exactly. Them. So that all right. And it's so and it also, yeah. Uh, and we just, and as they get older and they and adolescence is a whole nother can of worms that most parents are terrified of. Oh yeah, because we do want them. We don't. We never want to shame the the boys who like maybe yeah maybe they are watching porn because. Gosh, see, that's that. I'm already thinking about that. But you I'm need to sure. educate them about what porn is. Right, it's it's not real. Exactly. Please understand, this is transactional this is not sex. Real. This is yeah. not what real sex looks like in between loving partners. Yeah, and please do yourself and your partner, your future partner, or whatever's happening, a favor, and don't try to do that. Emulate this. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bad it's a bad way to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Morel, because we're up against the clock, we're going to make this a two-part episode. So thank you for coming. Everything that you have offered has been amazing. Thank you. My pleasure. But for those who want to know more about your seven steps to powerful boundaries, can you share where they can connect with you and maybe sign up? Sure. It's very simple URL for unspokenboundaries.com. And it'll take you to the website and give you all the information about the workshop and signing up. Awesome. I loved, I loved the workshop, y'all. It's, I'm going to be real. It's, it wasn't easy at first, but once you get past, for me anyways, the first step, it is so worth it. Life-changing for sure. We're going to continue this conversation next week. Please tune in then. So that way you may be enlightened with how spirituality or your connection with source plays an important role in the seven steps to powerful boundaries. May the light guide you and show you the way. And so it is.